0: Happy New Year to you all. Thank you very much. I have a friend who every year has a routine uh, at the very beginning of each year of looking back on what's behind with gratitude and then looking forward to what's ahead, uh, doing his best to see what God is inviting him uh, to to receive in that year. Do any of you have a routine like that? No one does. (laughs) This is a friend of mine in England, and I had a phone call with him on Friday, and Uh, He asked me, how was your year? And I told him uh, that it was a great year for me. And a part of the reason why it was such a good year uh, is really comes down to my experience here at Renaissance Church in this year behind. Uh, This is a community of folks that I feel very thankful to be a part of. And uh, because I've seen through the way that God has been using you and building you up, I've seen the presence of God in this year behind in many ways, and so it's been a great year. Uh, Our church has said goodbye to wonderful staff members, people who served faithfully here, and that has also come with welcoming new people. Jared Ott has been here in this year behind, and that has made a, a great difference for me, uh, Jared. Uh, we, we saw uh, a wonderful uh, director of children's ministry uh, leave, Kristen, and she's still around in the church, which is a great gift when folks... Uh, stop working in a role. Often they, they aren't around, but she's around, and that's a great gift. And then we've welcomed in Michelle Andrews, who's been a great pastor of children's ministry already. Um, and, and beside that, and beside our staff, we've also seen our elder team really shift and, and change. Uh, folks who had served for years stepped back, and they're still around. And then we've invited new people on. Uh, this year, especially uh, exciting, is to welcome our first woman to serve in the role of an elder, Amy. And, and I wanna say this, the, the changes that our church is moving through are, are, are difficult when people leave and when new things happen. Those are challenging and the way that folks have responded to these changes has shown Christ in a magnificent way to me. And so that's the second reason why I say I'm so thankful to be a part of this church. And then thirdly, it's the opportunity I've had to get to know a lot of you outside of Sunday. Not all of you, but a lot of you I've spent time with uh, in your homes, in the coffee shops, Uh, just getting to know you has made my life really rich. And so 2019 was a great year. Now, in addition to looking at what's behind, my friend always looks ahead. He's actually a friend who was here. Some of you maybe remember the pastor who had that wonderful British accent who preached last year, Chris Russell. Some of you remember him? He has this morbid practice of behaving as if every year will be his last, and then he writes a letter as if it's like his farewell letter. I don't do that. Okay, But I did think about 2020 and thought, what does God want for us as a church? And my mind went to the passage in Ephesians, in Ephesians 3, where Paul prays for the folks in Ephesus. I want you to know that my prayer for us as a church and my hope for this year in 2020 for us as a church really follows what Paul prays for there. Okay, And there are three things that he names. The first is that the folks in the church would be strengthened in their inner being by the presence of God's Spirit, How many of you would like to be stronger on the inside because God is there with you? I can see many of you acknowledging that. So that's the first thing. That was Paul's goal. That's my goal for us. That's the first. The second he prayed was that folks would be rooted and grounded in love, first of all, in the love of Christ. That's my second hope for us in this year ahead. If someone says, do you want Renaissance to grow? My answer is yes. I want everyone here to grow as people whose roots go further down into love. That sounds good too, don't you think? All of us need that. And then the third thing he prayed for was that their understanding would expand of one thing in particular, and that was how deep and high and wide and broad the love of Christ is. And that's also my prayer for us, that we would grow to understand Christ's love for the whole world more than ever, and that would change the way we are as a church. So I wanna set that out at the start because this is the first Sunday in this year, and so there it is. Uh, Gratitude for the year behind and hope for God's guidance in what's ahead. Now, I wanna... Uh, tell you what I'm going to preach about this morning. And it has to do with this, uh, this tub of water here before me. Uh, this morning, it's my great joy to begin this year with a message about baptism. And it's my joy first because Jesus instructed his followers that they were to teach others everything that he commanded and to help them know how to follow the path that he laid out. And then also that they should baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this morning... Uh, In obedience to that command of Jesus, we will be baptizing someone here at this service and then again at the next service. And so I'm very thankful that we can begin our year in that way. And what I wanna offer prior to that baptism is some basic teaching about baptism. And really, I have three hopes for this teaching. First is that for those of us who have already been baptized, that learning more about baptism will be like spiritual exercise, Okay, good for our spirits as we learn more deeply to embrace the gift that happened when we were baptized. And I can see at least three of you that were baptized recently in this room. And so for you especially, I want you to listen, to be reminded of the grace that's yours in baptism. And then many others of us here have been baptized at other times and in other places. And this teaching, oh, there's a fourth. <laughs> this teaching is meant to remind us of the gift of grace that comes in our baptism. That's the first. Secondly. I know that some of you here have not been baptized. And my hope is that those of you who have not been baptized would learn from this time so that you could make a well-informed decision about whether God is inviting you to be baptized in this year ahead. And my hope is that you would be. I'm not going to hide that. I think everyone should be baptized, so I'm hopeful for that. That's the second hope. And then the third one is for... Uh, Kristen, who will be baptized this morning, is that this is especially pertinent to you because what I want to unfold is, in the simplest way, a a definition of baptism which has just two words, and it's this, that baptism is visible grace. Uh, Grace that everyone can see and grace that the person who is being baptized can actually feel. And I want us to take this to heart, all of us, Because, please understand this, the most central thing about God is that he's gracious. And baptism, in a very uh, visible and tangible way, pictures for everyone whose eyes are open, especially their spiritual eyes are open, the grace that we stand on, that comes to us because God is good and he loves us. A baptism is an outward sign that's visible which signifies an inward and invisible grace which God himself takes responsibility for when we come and in faith say, I want to choose baptism. I want to really highlight three facets of that grace this morning, uh, each one depicted very visibly in baptism and also each one described in scripture. And these three will help us learn. Again, help those of us who've been baptized remember and be strengthened Help those of us who have not been baptized know what it would mean to decide and then really to be something tangible to hold on to for Kristen who'll be baptized now and for the others in the next service. And so I want to start with the most straightforward and really direct symbol of God's grace in baptism and that is this. Baptizing depicts forgiveness. It presents really a dramatic image of spiritual cleansing. And I would tell you that every person whose heart is honest will recognize the need in their own lives for, for some spiritual cleansing. Uh, do some of you have a sense for that this morning? Would you acknowledge it? Yeah. The word baptize in secular Greek, it simply means to immerse in water. That's literally what the word baptize means, to wash or to rinse away dirt by going under the water. In our Bibles, uh, sin is repeatedly depicted metaphorically as a kind of impurity which cannot be washed away uh, by us, a sort of stain which no one can remove through human effort, a sort of spiritual pollution which we can't remove, and this is critical, which has the impact of separating us from God. And there's nothing that we need more than to be connected to God. But with that sin, without spiritual pollution between us, we will have a deep sense that we're separated from the ground of our being, the one and only who is our true good. Many of you will have the kind of conscience, which, which if you, like my friend and I, look back on the year behind you, will see your own missteps and misdeeds, and you'll feel some guilt over the mistakes that you made, the times that you went in a direction other than you know you should have. I know I have that Uh, inclination. Does someone else here, would you rescue me from feeling all alone up here? Anybody else? Yes. Of course, God gives us the gift of a conscience that feels uneasy when we're moving away from him. And what baptism depicts is that God has provided for us the way to be completely pure again so that his holiness uh, no longer has to be something that uh, repels but rather draws us near to him. Because in baptism, he cleanses us. It was, first of all, the impurity of God's own people, the people of Israel, that evoked from the prophets the promise that God would cleanse his people if only they would come back to him. Uh, you, You can read through the prophets in the scriptures and notice over and over again that the people of Israel turned away from God and began to look like everybody else. Uh, Just like the other nations, they were unjust. Instead of shining like a light in the darkness, they brought darkness themselves. Maybe some of you have a conscience where you look at yourself and can see times that you did that as well. Well, what God did through the prophets is he made a promise to the people of Israel. He said this, I'm gonna gather you together from, from the places you've wandered and I'm gonna purify you. I'm gonna clean you so that you can be with me again. And that promise is made visible in baptism. I want you to see uh, one place where this comes very clear. In the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 36, verse 25, God puts the promise like this. I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Here is a divine promise of cleansing. Every stain upon your heart, God says, I'm going to wash that away. All that has made you unclear, God says this, I'll do away with that. Every bit of impurity will be removed by God's sovereign grace. Through... Uh, His own spirit, though your heart has been made unclean, it will be made clean again. By his spirit, you'll be washed as with clean water. Now, that promise of God to Israel is actually taken up in Jesus and then given to every single person who will come and trust in Jesus, whose grace and forgiveness is given freely to every person who comes to him, anyone, whose conscience acknowledges or or leads her to acknowledge her need for forgiveness can be assured that the washing which is symbolized in baptism is a picture of what God's spirit does to the heart of the person who comes and says, I need your forgiveness. Okay, if you have been baptized, you are assured that that forgiveness is for you. And now I'm inviting you, every one of you, to call that grace of God's to mind. And once again, allow the memory of that to wash you clean, and to be assured that God's forgiveness is for you. His mercy is 100% for you. And you'll need it again, but it will be there again for you every day. God's grace is new every single morning, the Bible says. And then these images are used. Listen to this. God's grace turns the scarlet stains of sin into a whiteness that is brighter than snow. Do some of you know that promise in Scripture? You can all be assured of that because by God's grace, his spirit cleanses us in baptism and we can own and accept his forgiveness. That's the first facet of the grace of baptism. But now I wanna go on to the second and I need you to listen here because there's a danger in dwelling on the forgiveness that is ours in Christ uh, that really amounts to reducing the Christian life to something far less than it actually is. Here's what I mean. When Christians lift forgiveness as they should, they can sometimes foster the impression that Christian faith is really about having a ticket to get into heaven when you die. And that's really all it is. If you can be forgiven, then doesn't matter what happens from that moment forward, then when you die, you get to be with God forever. It's a reduction that misses the truth that the invitation to trust Jesus is actually an invitation to a brand new life that starts right now. And, and starts again every time you trust him and again, especially those of you who were baptized here, when you were baptized, not only was that a symbolism of God's forgiveness of you, here's the second thing, it was also a symbol of rebirth. And Kristen, this is for you as well. The assurance that everything that's behind you is washed away and you can always count on God's forgiveness, but also that baptism pictures a brand new beginning, which means a new life right now. I'm sure of this. Don't many of you feel in your own reflections on your life, the need again and again for a new beginning, that not only should you be forgiven, but something new should start to happen in you. That second element of baptism, which is a picture of God's grace, is absolutely magnificent, that it doesn't just mean forgiveness down the road, but a new life right now. Listen, faith in Christ means a completely new start. Paul said it like this, anyone who is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Behold, everything has become new. I want you to see one place in particular where the Apostle Paul connects rebirth and baptism. Look at this. This is Romans 6, and starting in verse 3, he, he asks a question. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Okay, listen now. Paul's thought is very careful, so let's take our time. When a person chooses to be baptized as an expression of faith in Jesus, she is immersed. Okay, again, baptism means that, to be immersed. She is immersed into Jesus' death. Now, I want want us to think on this for a minute. It means that her old self is put in Christ in such a way that it is actually crucified and buried with Christ through her decision to completely trust Jesus and put herself into his hands, that means that in Jesus' death, her old self is also dead and buried. And for everyone who's been baptized, you should understand that. In God's eyes, in that moment, your old self was actually put to death in Christ. Paul goes on to explain it in, in, in verse four. He says this, therefore, that is, since we've been baptized, we have been buried with him by baptism into his death. Now here, this burial Here is where the act of baptism, as we're going to see it in in just a few minutes, becomes especially symbolic in this second way of a rebirth. Whoever is put under the water in baptism is symbolically and spiritually buried. And that's gonna happen in just a bit. Beneath that surface and in that moment, the person being baptized is invited to accept that her old self with its waywardness and sinfulness is also buried and put in the grave where it's meant to stay just as Jesus Christ was buried after he was crucified. And, and that, that rich symbolism is meant to be the thing that you also receive, those of you who have been baptized and have been baptized into Christ, are meant to receive that truth for you as well. God's grace is to put that old you to death. And if you resurrected that old you a few times in 2019 to let God put it to death again. But then, listen now, Jesus did not stay in the grave. This is one of the central confessions of the Christian community, that he arose and conquered death, being reborn to a new life. Jesus' triumph over the enemy of death is also symbolized in baptism, promising us a share in that same kind of rebirth. Look at how Paul finishes his thought in verse four. He says, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. As the person who is baptized comes up from the water, uh, he's invited to see in that act of emerging from beneath the surface a symbol of his own new rebirth into new life, just as Christ rose again from the dead and had a new kind of life we also are invited in the moment that we emerge from our own baptisms to receive this symbol of a brand new and completely new beginning the freedom to put one's old self to death where it belongs and the gift of grace to walk in new life from now on i bet i'm right when i suspect that many of us would love to have a brand new beginning in this year ahead yes And anyone who knows the grace of God's deliverance can also look back on that deliverance and realize it wasn't just like I was forgiven, it was like I got a brand new start, a brand new me. Anyone else in here have that memory in their past? Yeah, when I uh, have shared in the past, and you've heard me maybe talk about uh, the time more than 20 years ago when I went through a really difficult passage in life. Uh, It was a time where it was so hard for me, I began to imagine that it would be easier if life was altogether finished than if I had to go on. And some of you have lived through times like that. Uh, Maybe some of you will find yourselves facing that kind of temptation in the year ahead. Uh, What I did in that time is I relied on God's grace and he sustained me through it, thank goodness. And I shared with one friend of mine about how hard it became. His name was Adam. And I just opened up with him and told him, Adam, in this year behind, it's been so bad that I've begun to believe that death would actually be better. Uh, years after that evening where I shared it with him, as God had delivered me from that, I was celebrating my 30th birthday and he wrote me a letter. And in it he said, Christian, who would have guessed that God would actually grant your wish to have your old life end? Now you are a new man and I can see that with clarity. That's what God does uh, for anyone who comes, puts their trust in him. And when you go in the water, you're free to leave that old you down there and then have a new you come up. And that's a second grace of baptism. It's a rebirth. Now, there's a third that I wanna talk about this morning. And it really is the one that follows from the first two uh, logically. And by that, I mean, there's a reason why God forgives us and there's a reason why God gives us a rebirth. And, And those two steps of God's grace to take away all of our guilt and to give us a new life in this moment The reason for those two is for this third grace of baptism, which is mission. The person who's baptized is saying in this new life, now I'm ready to be on mission with God and God's people. Uh, Paul talked about the death of Christ and Christ's resurrection in just these terms. In 2 Corinthians, he said, Jesus died and was raised again so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but would live for him who died and was raised for them. And everyone who's baptized, listen now, also is challenged to receive the grace of God in the form of God's commissioning. God's mission, the the mission of building his kingdom, is not for the people who are professional religious folks, not at all. It's not my job to do that and your job just to receive. Rather, we're all meant to think of ourselves as the very people that God's inviting to take his mission on, and maybe I'm a coach for you to help you do that well. But baptism signifies your decision, and that's why we do it, by the way, in front of the community, to say, I'm in this mission, and and I wanna sign up, and I wanna do what God is calling me to do. Now, in the scripture, we also see this uh, third a grace of baptism, especially in the first story, really, that's told of baptism in the New Testament. Do some of you know the story of John the Baptist who went out into the wilderness and invited people not to stay in the temple, but rather to go out to the Jordan River and there to receive a baptism? Do some of you know that story? And he called it a baptism of forgiveness, and then there was a word, a theological word, repentance. Okay, and that word repentance just means in in sort of a literal sense, it means a revolution or a a reorientation of direction. And that was John's way of saying, when you're forgiven and you're born again, now it's time to get on a new path, to start working at walking with a new purpose in life. Uh, And that's what every person of faith is invited to to have, a new purpose in the way they walk through life. And baptism is is the beginning of that uh, in a public way for everyone there. Now, when John said this to all the people there at the Jordan, they asked him, what should we do? I think mean, it was their way of saying, how are we meant to walk in repentance? How are we meant to walk in a new way? And by the way, this answer that he gives is for you especially, Kristen, but for everyone here this morning. And his answer is recorded in Luke uh, chapter 3, verse 8. He says very simply this, uh, bear fruits worthy of repentance. That's a very concise way of saying the mission of being on this new path is to look at yourself as if you are a tree that is meant to bear good fruit, fruit that is worthy of this new direction that you'll walk in in obedience to God. And, and, And this really was meant in John's moment when he said that at the Jordan River, it was meant to be as concrete and practical as possible for everyone listening so that everyone would understand what it looks like to be a person who's forgiven and reborn and now receiving God's mission. It means wherever you are planted to look at yourself and say, how can I bear good fruit right here? And so I want, actually want every one of you to use your imagination right now and think about where you're likely to spend the majority of this year ahead uh, in, in your days. Where, where will it be? Will it be at work and with your family or in school, with friends? Wherever it is, imagine there is where God has planted you and then John's answer for what your mission is is to bear fruit right there with your children, with your coworkers, uh, with, with whoever you happen to interact with. Now, John didn't just leave it up to the imagination of the people when he said this. He actually gave them three very vivid examples of what it would look like to bear fruit that is worthy of repentance. Here, listen to this. The first thing he said to that crowd of people was, whoever has two coats, give one to a person who only has one coat. Think about this. You could reduce that to one word share. And that's how you receive God's mission when you share. Um, Little children can share, right? You can teach the the young people in your life to share. And when you do that, you're teaching them to have a hand in God's mission. Uh, We adults are challenged by this to look at our possessions not as treasures to be hoarded by ourselves, but rather as opportunities to be on mission in the way God means us to. If you've been baptized, one of the ways you receive and then reflect that grace is by sharing. The second thing that John said to the gathered uh, group there was this. He said, if any of you uh, are professional tax collectors, and there were a number of them in that group, and they happened to be people whose jobs made them quite unpopular. He told them, if that's you, don't use your job as a means of exploiting others for personal gain even if you're able to get away with it legally, don't do that. Uh, In other words, he was saying to them, be honest at work. Do some of you work in environments where a lot of people are dishonest and get away with it? Yes or no? Don't say too loudly if you're near one of your coworkers. But it happens, right? And that'll be a temptation for all of us to bend the rules where we work. And if you're not in work yet, in school, it's like this too, right? You can be tempted to bend the rules. Here, fruit worthy of repentance is don't do that. Be honest. Be honest. Be an honest person. And again, that's very doable, isn't it? To choose each day to be honest. Share, be honest. Here's the third one. He said, if any of you are soldiers, don't use the physical strength that you have to intimidate other people into doing things that benefits you at their expense. Now you might think, well, I'm not a soldier, so that one doesn't count for me. No, no. He meant by saying that, use the power which you have to help others and not only yourself. And every one of you has some power. We have power over our siblings. Uh, If we're little and super obnoxious, we have power over our parents. Isn't that true? (laughs) Um, We have power over our kids and over our friends and our spouses and, and the people that we work with. And so this third invitation is very simple. It is don't use your power in a way that pushes people down to build yourself up, but use your power to help others be lifted. All three of those are, are, are indications of what the third grace of baptism actually looks like in life. Uh, the, the, the grace of accepting a mission. Now, I, I want us to look at all three here uh, together at once. And, and, and I want to tell the truth now in light of all three of these to everyone here who's been baptized already. And I want you to receive this truth. First, you are forgiven. Forgiveness is yours because God's grace is for you. Because God's grace and love is more powerful than sin. And God uh, will not leave us in our waywardness, but anyone who's come uh, to him and baptism depicts coming to him uh, can be certain of God's forgiveness. And so if that's you, then I want to challenge you in this way. Do not carry your regrets from the year behind you into the year ahead. And then secondly, I want to say this to you. Any one of you who has been baptized should receive and trust that in that moment you were born anew through the waters of baptism. Just as surely as the grave could not hold Jesus, the water from which you emerge in baptism, uh, either very directly or just symbolically if, if you were sprinkled, That water can't hold the new you from emerging. And since it's God's will that anyone who is in Christ is a brand new creation, you also are a new creation. And I'm telling you the truth in Jesus' name. Anyone who's been baptized is a new creation. And if you've been pretending that you're the old you, stop it. And in the year ahead, I want you to leave that old you behind and and again receive the new you that God promises in the rebirth of baptism. That's my second challenge to you. And then the third is that every single one of you who's been baptized, whether recently or a long time ago, It is time for you again to ask, as the people did at the Jordan River, what should I do? And listen to John's answer. You should bear fruit that's worthy of repentance. You should accept God's mission. Where you are planted, start bearing good fruit right now. And in whatever way you're called to do that, do it. And listen now, as the pastor of Renaissance Church, this is the most important thing I think that I can say to our whole church together. Receive God's grace, and let's be about his mission Together, that's my challenge for 2020. Now, to those of you who are amongst us who've not been baptized, to you I would say, I hope that in this year, your your heart will be open to God's grace inviting you to receive this symbolic act of his spiritual forgiveness and rebirth and invitation to his mission. Do some of you have people in your life who have not been baptized and you wish that they would come to faith and be baptized, yes or no? I have that too. So listen, listen, Let us be patient and trust God and his timing. But if you're here, we're praying for you. And I mean that. We're praying for you that you'll make that decision. And then lastly, uh, to Kristen, in, in a few moments now, we'll baptize you. I want you to know how grateful we are that you've had the courage to say, I'm choosing baptism in this community. We're thankful for that. We are the body of Christ that receives you as now spiritual brothers and sisters. And we're really, really grateful for that. I'm asking in God's name that you would trust in his forgiveness and receive his rebirth and be called into his mission in God's grace. And so would you pray with me to that end? God, we thank you that this morning we get to witness the baptism of one of your daughters who has spiritually responded to your invitation uh, to receive your grace in this symbolic act. Uh, A grace that says uh, all that has been is washed away. A new birth is promised in Christ. And an invitation to be a part of God's people in mission is extended. God, I pray that, uh, that not only is Kristen uh, nourished through this act, but also every one of us is inspired and built up spiritually for being together in these moments that are ahead. And I pray for this in Jesus' name, amen.